so excited to be here. We're starting a new sermon series um, that's going to really lead us all the way into to Easter. It's called The Covenant. Can you say The Covenant? Which is kind of cool that we're starting The Covenant on a membership Sunday because covenant, it really symbolizes partnership. And that's what membership is all about, too, is a partnership. It's saying, I'm, I'm coming to this church for the season that God has me here, and I'm going to serve the people of the church, the community of the church with my talents, with my time, and with my treasure. And in return, I am expecting and believing for a covering of leadership from this church, of pastoral care from the church, and from a brotherhood and a sisterhood of one another. And so that's a really cool thing. And covenant is seen all throughout the Bible, but I don't really believe that we talk about covenant probably enough um, in, in church today. And so I'm, I'm really excited about leading this, this message today. And so a covenant is an agreement between God and his people. God's covenants or promises are vital because they demonstrate God's grace and love for his people. Amen. So starting from Genesis, which is where we're going to be at this, this entire month, we're going to be in the book of Genesis. God enters into one formal partnership or covenant after another to restore and rescue humans. Um, if you really read the book of Genesis, then you uh, might, may have realized that it means in the beginning. That is what the book of Genesis means. The actual word Genesis is, is the Greek word that means origins. And Genesis is bro- broken down into two sections, one through chapter 11, which is like the origins of the world, of creation, of humans. It also talks about the flood and the de- destruction of the world and rebuilding through Noah's sons and the Tower of Babel. And then we get to chapter 12. And now we see the origins of not just the entire human race, but we narrow it down into the origins of the nation of Israel, starting with the founding father, Abraham. And so this month, we're going to talk about Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph and the 12 tribes and and how God chose this family to be a blessing to the world and how Jesus, when we get into April, we're going to talk about how Jesus came from this family and how he is ultimately um, fulfills all covenants in the new covenant through Jesus. So today we're going to talk about the Abrahamic covenant. And what that is, is there's a redemption partnership between God and Abraham. And this develops progressively. And today, because we don't have time, and I'm, I, I, can, I can nerd out on you guys, you know it. And I can, I can go for a really long time. But I'm going to just give an overview today because this is, a, this is progressive throughout the book of Genesis. And so I'm going to say, do some homework. Go back and get in, and dig into the word yourself. But it starts in Genesis chapter 12, and then it's, and then it's recommitted again in chapter 15. And then we see some, some more details in chapter 17. So highlight those three chapters especially and go back. But we're going to learn from Abraham today. I am going to break down the covenant, the Abrahamic covenant, Genesis 12, 1 through 3. You ready? And we have it up there on the screens as well. It says, the Lord has said to Abraham, go from your country your people, your father's household, to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So God's calling with 
uh, Abraham, that's the beginning of the covenant, his calling. And it really includes three primary things that we can read from right here. It's land, it's offspring, and it's blessings. Can you say that with me? Land, offspring, and blessings. The purpose of the Abraham covenant, though, is that it provides a foundation, a foundation for the, the nation of Israel and the coming of the Messiah through whom God would bless all nations. So we're going to break down five key lessons that we can learn about Abraham and how he received this covenant, this partnership, and how he wa walked it out. Because God wants to partner with you. He wants to partner with you through Jesus Christ. And so let's learn about this. And I got some fill in the blanks because I don't want to give it away right away, okay? So five key lessons. Abraham, close. He did find, find God, but God really found him. Abraham followed God. So the, the key of the covenant is that God was calling Abraham to leave his people, to leave his country, and to follow him. That word leave there in the Hebrew is like the only time we really see it in the Bible. It's really special. It has a lot to do with this covenant. It's a, it is a following. It's not just a leaving. It's a leaving and it's a cleaving. It's following God. And it's really cool when you think about it, because if you, if you read one chapter before uh, chapter 12 when the covenant is pronounced, you see um, the Tower of Babel. You see people trying to make a name for themselves, God scattering people. But then it gets to um, Abraham's father, and his name is Terah. And Terah was actually called to um, go to the promised land too, but he settled, and he didn't follow completely or obediently. Matter of fact, in um, chapter 11, verse 31, it says, Terah took his son Abraham, his grandson Lot, son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sari, the wife of his son Abraham, and together they set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. But where, when they came to Haran, they settled there. And then, and then it says that he lived for so many years and he settled there. And so often when God calls us to follow him, we settle without following all the way. And so then God spoke to Terah's son, Abraham, Abram at the time, and, and asked him to follow him all the way. And Abram did. He was obedient. And that is the, the first part of partnership. God comes to us, and he, he's the one, the Bible says that he loves us first. He seeks us first. But then we have a choice. Are we going to choose to follow God? And we have a choice, how much are we going to follow God? Are we going to be like Terah and we're going to follow God to almost to the promise that he has for us? Or are we going to stop before we get there and we're going to settle? I don't know about you, but I don't want to settle. I want to follow God with everything. You know, I've told some of you guys, I just recently went to the Asbury Revival and I said how God, the purity of God was so there. It was so awesome to see God move cross denominations and just a group of people gathered to God to worship the Lord. And then on our way home, you know, I was with, with two, two people. It was funny. We were kind of both decades. I'm almost 45. My friend was 35. And then her friend was 25. So it was kind of interesting to see that, you know, generational difference. And as my one friend was snoozing, I, the 25-year-old got stuck on joy duty. And um, we were driving. I said, listen, we're going to listen to this theology podcast. And she's like, what? I'm like, the Bible says to love him with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Like, we just vigorously worship, but let's feed our minds the word of God. Let's dig in deep. When we follow God, he wants us to follow him with everything, right? With your passion, with your talents, 
with your abilities, with your minds. He doesn't want you to be ignorant. He wants you to, to know him and to seek him and to understand him. And Abraham followed God. Are you like Abraham or like his father and only partially following God? I don't want to only partially follow God. So a key lesson to learn from Abraham is he followed God. He left. And the cool thing about the leaving, too, see, it, Abraham is like another type of Adam. Adam and Eve, they fell into sin, and they were, they were um, driven out of the garden. But see, Abram, he was called out. And friends, we have, to, we, have to see that, we have to distinguish that, you know, because the Bible says that there is going to come a time that every knee will confess and every, or every mouth will confess and every knee will bow that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so are you going to be driven to that or are you going to be called to following Christ? I want to be called. Amen? Abraham was called and he followed. So Abraham... Another lesson we can learn from Abraham and how to really walk in the partnership God has called us to is Abraham was a friend of God. How cool is that? He was a friend of God. And the scripture was fulfilled which saith, Abraham believed God and it was imputed unto him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. Only a few times does the Bible actually say you are called a friend. And Abraham, Moses was, saw God face to face and was called a friend. And then Jesus turned to his disciples and said, no longer do I call you servants. Because servants don't know their, their master's business. But I call you friends. And we sing songs in the American church now about I am a friend of God. And I love that. But sometimes I think that we sing we are a friend of God and we've never even really been a follower or a servant of God. And it's progress, we, we progress progressively get to become a friend. It doesn't happen overnight. Like the first time you meet someone, if, if you know, you have common sense, you usually don't tell them all of your business the very first day. You build a relationship with them. You build a trust with them. And then after years of trusting one another and, and pouring into one another and being there for one another, you can become a friend. Josh is my best friend, but that is 22 years of me being able to tell my secrets to him, and most of the time he doesn't say anything to anyone. <laughs> I'm just kidding. And him being able to tell me some things, and most of the time I'm found faithful to share that with him, right? Because friends mess up. We all mess up and, and stuff. But there's, there's a friendship doesn't mean perfect, but it means, it means a connection, deeper connection, that you can share your secrets with one another. And so how did Abraham become a friend of God? Well, we really see this in Genesis chapter 18. <laughs> so God was, uh, he tells Abraham in the book of Genesis that Sodom and Gomorrah were about to be destroyed for their terrible sins. And part uh, of this chapter that you have to go back and really read is that Abraham, he was pleading with God, well, if there's so many righteous people, would you destroy the righteous with the wicked? And he got down to like 10, and God said, no, if there's 10, I won't destroy. the." But can you imagine going back and forth like that with God? God's coming, he's telling you, like, he, the word, and, and you have to go back and read it in chapter 18, it even says, like, should we keep this from Abraham? No, we shouldn't keep this from Abraham. Let's tell Abraham what's, what's on the mind of God, what's, what's on my mind. Let's tell Abraham. Like, how cool is that? Like, God was telling a secret. He's like, here, Abraham, let me tell you what's going on. 
You know, this, these towns are wicked. And, and I'm about to destroy. And, and Abraham was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You know, Abraham was really thinking about his boy Lot, his nephew, right? His nephew was almost like his son because his brother died. And he took the responsibility of raising his nephew. And they did, you know, eventually separate and went different ways. And, and Lot chose to go towards these two wicked towns. But Abraham was pleading and interceding for his nephew. And because of that, he did, the, the angels of God went and rescued Lot out of destruction. Him and his family were spared, except for his wife, who, who looked back. But that's another sermon for another time. <laughs> but he was spared because of the intercession of Abraham. Yes, he was righteous. But he, Lot, the Bible says Lot was righteous. A lot of times people want to say, oh, was he really right, righteous to live in such a depraved nation? Well, the Bible says in the New Testament that he was. However, it was, I don't believe his righteousness that saved him. I believe it was Abraham's friendship with God and intercession that spared Lot. Friend, when you become a friend of God, your friendship with God and your intercession for those in your life who are in dangerous places, who aren't living in, in, in the way that they should, you can be the thing that stands in the gap from their destruction. You should be praying and interceding for your unsaved family, for your co-workers who don't know Christ. And if you're a friend of God, you got his special attention. And you got his ear that you can say, God, don't forget, there's times I will tell God, my God, you remember that conversation we had? I mean, I, I will go back 20 years and I'm like, God, you remember in 1998 when, I mean, I will, I will you know, I'm good at keeping some records <laughs> that sometimes gets in my fault, that can be in my fault at times, but sometimes it could be for my benefit. I'm like, in 1998, God, we had a conversation and this is what we talked about and this is what you promised me. And I hold on to the word of God and his truth for my life. And then I will use that truth to intercede for others that I know that they're, they're not quite there yet where God wants them. And I'm going to pray for them and intercede for them. That's what friends do. That's what friends of God do. They're not just about building their own wealth. Even though Abraham had a co covenant, a promise for land offspring and blessing he used his promise to increase his blessing to include lot to spare lot not his biological child but almost like a spiritual son to save him friends use the blessing that you have for god for the benefit of others so evidence that abraham was a friend of god one god talked to abraham god wants to talk to you he wants to speak with you. And people sometimes, I remember years ago when we were at our first campus, and a, a lady was really struggling with some um, different issues that she had, had a, I would say, habits, sin habits that she had a hard time breaking. And she came to me, and she, she, she spoke to me, and she said, just give me a prophetic word. And I got my Bible out, <laughs> and I put it down. I said, this is the word of God, and all that you need, it already tells you what to do. And I'm all, I believe in the prophetic. I believe in the gifts of the spirit. But, friends, if we're seeking after the gifts without even taking time to hear his word, then, then we, we're, we're a little bit confused, and we need to get clarity on that. When, if you're saying, I've not heard God spoke, then my question to you, or speak to me, my question to you is, have you opened your Bible? <laughs> have you opened your Bible? Because he is speaking because the word of God is living and active. And it divides heart from soul. It divides flesh from spirit. And it is there to penetrate 
and to make you right and to give you power and to give you courage and to build your faith. Get into the word, not out of duty, but out of friendship. Another evidence that Abraham was a friend of God is that, well, God shared his secrets with him. (laughs) Sometimes God speaks to us about the future and our big mouths, we just want to go do something about it right now or we want to go tell everyone, this is what God said to me. I think sometimes we need to be more like Mary, the mother of Christ, and we need to hide those things in our heart. We need to treasure it, think about it, ponder on it. If God has spoken to you about something, write it down make it clear, pray into it. It doesn't mean you have to go tell everybody unless he asks you to. And if he asks you to, do so with fear and trembling. Do some with humility. But God does share his secrets with his friends. Another evidence that God was a friend to Abraham was God considered Abraham's perspective. I mean, how incredible is that? He heard his perspective. He said, but God, God will hear your perspective if you intercede for other people because he wishes that none will perish. And so pray to him. Seek him out. Share your perspective. Be a friend of God. That's how we have partnership like Abraham did. A third lesson and how we can have this kind of covenant is that we have to know that, well, just like Abraham faltered, that's the word there, faltered in his walk with God, well, we most likely will too. So in both Genesis 12 and Genesis 20, um, Abraham lies about Sarah being his wife and sister. Now in in Genesis 12, this is like right after he received the covenant, you know, that he was going to have land and offspring and blessings. And that God was going to actually use Sarah to, to, to bring about this blessing, even though they were very old, right? And yet, soon after he receives this word from God, he falters. There's a, a famine that actually happens in the land. It's very interesting. You remember I spoke before. I said, if you actually read the Bible, you start to see parallels. And, and you start to see things that echo. And so here, Abraham, the father of the nation of Israel, experiences a famine. Does it sound like something else that happens maybe in one more book over? A famine that comes to the land during the time of Joseph. And he experiences this famine. And guess where he flees to so he can get food? You got it, buddy. He goes to Egypt. Sounds familiar, right? And so as he's going to Egypt and he's bringing his his wife and family, Pharaoh sees Sarah, and even though she is old, man, that I'm telling you, I just, I can't imagine what this woman of God must have looked at, like, like, like old. And Pharaoh's like, woo, she is fine. Like, I'm about to take her to be my wife. I mean, this is my paraphrase. Go back and read it, right? But this is what happened. And so Abraham gets scared, like, oh, man, my goodness, Pharaoh, the king of Egypt is going to kill me because my wife looks so good. <laughs> so he lies and says, well, Sarah's just my sister. Why does he lie? Because he wants to protect himself. That's why most people lie. And then this happens again in chapter 20. Actually, God first, I'll tell you what happened. God inter- intervened for Sarah. Because the promised seed was to come through Sarah, which is not just Isaac, but eventually King David and eventually the Messiah, Jesus Christ, comes through Sarah. And so Sarah could not just sleep with anyone. Sarah had to to be um, set apart, only intimate with her husband. But her husband put her in a situation that could have made it very dangerous. So God intercedes and he he sends plagues, plagues on Egypt. Interesting, right? Again, 
What does that sound like a parallel to? Plagues that happen later with the, with the nation of Israel. And so Pharaoh, this Pharaoh wasn't as stubborn. It was like plague one, like, whoa, what's going on here? Take your woman. Why do you lie to me? <laughs> and so Abraham takes Sarah, and they're on their merry way. Well, they come across trouble again in Exodus chapter 20, and they're in a new land with a new ruler named Amalek. And uh, he also, and she's even older at this time, <laughs> and she's, he also said, "Woo, look at this, hot boomer. <laughs> and, <laughs> I cracked myself up. Okay. <laughs> and he tries to take her as his wife. And once again, God intercedes. Matter of fact, God speaks to this man in a dream and said, don't you dare touch her. And so after the dream, he, he wakes up and he calls Abraham. He said, why do you lie to me and say this was your sister? And Abraham says, well, well, she technically is my half sister. <laughs> Partial lies, right? <laughs> and this is the thing that, that we can see from this. And listen to this. If you hear nothing else, listen to this. The pattern of deception as the, as the strategy to handle life's challenges is not only a habit for Abraham, but it becomes deeply ingrained character of his son, grandson, and great-grandchildren. The habit of deception and the reason he deceives is to self-preserve. Abraham's walk faltered. He was not perfect. He was just the beginning of the restoration plan that God had. But he was not perfect. And, and not only did he lie to protect himself, but see, there came a time where he's like, God, you promised me land, offspring, and blessings. And yet, if I die today, my head servant is going to be the one who inherits all of these blessings that I have. I don't have a son. And so some theologians, which I don't know if I agree with this, but some theologians, I just learned this in my Torah class, believe that it was actually a, a form of faith that Abraham tried to make that child happen on his own, along with the conspiracy of his wife, Sarah. So what happens is Sarah says, hey, I'm not giving you this child. It's promised. Let's make this happen because God said it would. So take my maidservant, Hagar, and have a baby with her. And Ishmael was born, right? So often God promises things, and we falter to believe, even if we have good intentions of trying to make it happen on our own, we falter to believe that it's by faith and faith alone that God will do it. Isn't that hard? Isn't that difficult? Because we're supposed to love God and improve it with our works, but yet it's not our works that saves us. It is the faith that we have in Christ Jesus. I don't know about you, but, but I want to learn to handle life's challenges a little bit differently. I don't want to only res resort to deception to self-preserve and protect myself. I don't want to get to a place where I try to make it happen and I strive and I work really hard to make what I believe God has called me to do happen instead of trusting God, walk in his timing, and believe the truth will set me free. What about you? Come on, friends. So here's Abraham, the, the 
Abrahamic covenant. He was the beginning of the restoration of humankind, and yet he still faltered in his walk with God. Another lesson we can learn from Abraham is, well, Abraham had faith in God. This is what was credited to him as righteousness is because of his faith. The scripture talks about Abraham all throughout the rest of the Torah, all throughout the rest of the Old Testament. You can read the prophets going back to Abraham, Moses going back to Abraham. Matter of fact, when God wanted to destroy the nation of Israel several times um, in the Exodus, Moses interceded by saying, remember your covenant with Abraham. And and. Yahweh became known as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And that's a narrow word because God doesn't want, he, is, he wants to restore a whole family. He doesn't want to just be Josh and Joy's God, but he wants to be Jubilees and Jordans and, and Justice and Shua, right? And then their children. God wants a relationship that his, his blessings go for a thousand generations. But that's another message. But here's Abraham, and he had faith in God. See, finally, at the ripe old age of 100, can you believe it, 100 years old, Abraham and Sarah birthed Isaac, the chosen son. You've heard us quote this quote before, a faith that hasn't been tested can't be trusted. And here it is. If you read in this chapter 22, it starts the chapter by saying God tested Abraham. God chose to test Abraham. And what he tests him in is he said, would you sacrifice your son for me? And that sounds like crazy. Like in our mindset, like who would kill their child? I mean, like it, we, have to, we have to realize that when we're reading the Bible, we can't think about it in our, um, you know, 2023 20, mindset. We have to go back to the culture of the Near Eastern um, Mesopotamia culture and understand what that was. But even still, it was a crazy request from God. And this is how Abraham answers in verse 3 of that chapter. It says, early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. And when he had cut enough wood for the burnt offerings, he set out for the place God had told him about. He responded with obedience, not delayed obedience, but immediate obedience obedience. This again sets Abraham apart. Even though he faltered in his walk, when it came to the testing of God, he said, yes, God. Again, this parallels back to the Garden of Eden. When when, when Adam and Eve had everything they ever needed in the Garden of Eden, they walked in the presence of God, and God tested humanity by putting a a tree of knowledge that that, that he said, do not eat of this. And as soon as the temptation came and they were able to have that test, they faltered and they failed that test. Bringing sin into the world which brought separation from humanity to to God. But here again, in the beginning of this restoration plan, God tests human again, human mankind again in Abraham. And Abraham early the next morning decided to obey. And so they're walking up the mountain, and Isaac is old enough. We don't know exactly. Most scholars believe he was like 12 or 13. So he's old enough to have um, a pretty good reasoning. And he says to his dad, he says, hey, dad, I see the wood. I see the fire. Where's the lamb? (laughs) And this is what Abraham says to him. He answered, he said, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. 
and the two of them went on together. He had faith that God would provide. And so here's Abraham, and, and he gets Isaac at this altar, and he has his, the Bible says that you can read it in verse 22, uh, I mean chapter 22, verse 13. He has his knife raised above his son, and he is getting ready to do the deed when God speaks to him through an angel and says, stop, <laughs> stop, Abraham. And then the Bible says that he looked up, he raised his eyes, and he saw and looked, a ram was caught in the thicket. There was the, uh, the what, what he had, the sacrifice was provided. There was a ram in the thicket, and Abraham and Isaac went together, and they sacrificed the ram. And, and, and God said, now I know I can trust you. Because a faith that is not tested is a faith that is not trusted. It's easy to follow God when everything's going good. It is difficult to follow God when, when circumstances are not going in the direction you would like them to, when your finances aren't lining up, when your marriage is faltering, when your children are backsliding. It is hard to trust God in those circumstances, but a faith that is not tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. So when you are tested, friends, it's because God is building character in you, and he's building trust in you. And if you would learn to stand in faith and say, but God, you spoke this to me, and I believe it. In 1998, you told me this, Lord. Come on, remind him that he is faithful. <laughs> the thing that I love about this chapter is as I can picture Abraham and Isaac walking up one side of Mount Moriah, and God and the ram on the other side. The moment that, that Abraham said, I'm going to trust you and I'm going to be faithful, and he walked in obedience, God provided the way out. God provided the answer the very moment. And, friends, when you say, I'm going to be obedient, I'm going to have faith, I'm going to do what God has called me to do, he is going to provide Anything and everything that you need. At that time is the first time that we hear and learn the name Jehovah Jireh, the Lord, my provider. We would have never had that revelation if it wasn't for Abraham's faith. I don't know about you, friends, but I want to know God as my provider. That means I'm going to be tested. That means you're going to be tested, but it's worth it. And finally, I want to end with this lesson that we can learn from Abraham. The fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant was in his seed. It wasn't, oftentimes when God partners with us, we, especially in America, coming, you know, I, we got saved in the late 90s, coming out of like the whole prosperity blessing movement, the blab it, grab it, name it, claim it, spit it, get it. Come on, y'all remember? <laughs> and so we, we had to learn that the blessing that God has for you is not just about you. It doesn't mean you won't be blessed, but it's about others. And this is what Abraham had to learn. The blessing of the covenant promise of land, offspring, and blessing wasn't just for his family. It wasn't just for him, but it was for the future. Matter of fact, God trusted Abraham so much that God spoke to Abraham about his great nation that was going to come through Isaac. And then he spoke to him about how his people were going to be enslaved for 400 years in Egypt. And then he spoke to him about how God was going to raise up a prophet and set his people free. I mean, he knew what was going to happen hundreds of years after he was going to be dead. Come on, friends. That's the kind of friendship he had, and that's the kind of mindset that he had that he knew that this covenant was not going to be fulfilled 
and just himself, that he was just the beginning. And friends, what God wants to do in you is not just about you. You're just the spark. You're just the beginning of what he wants to do. I love Ann Lee Stanley's one saying that he says that the greatest contribution that many of us will ever give to the kingdom of God is not something we do, but someone we raise. And in all of our doing and all of our trying to build up, don't forget to take time to talk to your children, to love on your children, even if they're not doing exactly what you want them to do, to make time, to share the love of God. And don't forget, even if you're in this place and you're single and God has given you that gift, your your blessing is not just about yourself. Keep yourself holy. Keep yourself right. But who can you pour into? Who can you disciple? Who can you bring along? See, Adam and Eve did not pass the test of God and they allowed sin to enter the world. But God had another plan to call one man, then one family, then one nation, then one Messiah, Jesus. The seed of the promise to bless the whole world. Each one of God's covenants that we can read about, some scholars say five, some say eight. I, I like, I'm not a minimalist, so I tend to go more towards eight. But <laughs> each one of these covenants that we read about, they progressively build on one another until we get to the culmination of this and the new covenant found in Christ Jesus. Covenant theology in the Bible finds its full rationale in Jesus' words in Luke 22, verse 20. This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. (laughs) The cool thing about God's covenant is it has more to do with God than it has to do with you. We must remember that when God calls us, it's bigger than us. God has a plan, and we get to be a part of it. Would you stand up to your feet and close your eyes, please? I want to take a moment today. As we, as we dug into this word and we got a, hopefully a little bit deeper in our understanding about covenant and about partnership, that we can get to this place that we can say, God, I want to partner with you. When I prayed about what kind of call should I give at the end of this message, there were so many things we talked about. And the only word that I got from God was partnership, 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 partnership. God wants to partner with his people. We're living in a, in a generation that, that needs to see the light of Christ, and you are that light, but we have to decide to partner with God. If you're in this place and you want to answer the call like Abraham and you want to say, I want to partner with God, would you raise your hand before the Lord? Yeah, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I'm going to ask, not everybody has to do this, but I believe in praying for people. If you raise your hand and and you want a special prayer, would you come on up here? And if every single one of you want to, I will pray for every single one of you. But will you come up here? And then we're going to pray for for the entire body too because God wants us to partner. He wants us to partner. Yes. Thank you, Jesus. The first step of partnership is making sure you surrender to Christ. If you have not made that decision to surrender to Christ, you need to make that decision today. Maybe you've made that decision, but you've faltered in it. His grace is sufficient. 
All you got to do is ask him to forgive you. It's that simple. Heavenly Father, I just pray for those who've come up here, and I'm going to continue to pray for them, but for every single one of us in this place today. God, help us find ways to partner with you. Help us find ways to know that you are God and it's more about you than it is about us. Help us surrender things that hold us back. Help us pass the test that you have in our life so that we could follow you to the very ends of the world if that's where you call us. Lord, would you bless us? Would you bless us with your presence? Would you bless us, Lord God, with prosperity so that we can share with others and build your kingdom here on earth? God, would you bless us with offspring, with children who know you, who love you, who surrender to you, Lord God? Just as you bless Abraham, God, we ask that you would bless us, but God, help us be faithful the way Abraham was. In Jesus' name. Let's just take a moment. If you have to slip out, that's fine.